globe oral fiber. I don't think you should drink that. First of all, welcome to the Hello. We can stop now, Ben. We're bad I was wrong and stupid. On sets. It makes me feel great. And <laughs> wow. Like I could. Can I keep his head for his souvenir? Take all the world. Okay, we're done here. We're done here. That was fun, guys. All right. I like it. Hello and welcome, Interstellar Space Explorers, and welcome to another cinematic episode of Men of Low Moral Fiber, the show that, just like Commander Boston Lowe, doesn't go around sticking its hand into cracks, oh. because you never know what could happen, I guess. Yikes. Yikes. Uh, I'm your host, Ben Helms, uh, and with me, as always, is my life crystal hoarding, space-time six transcending older brother and co-host, Jason Helms. How's it going, man? It, you know, it's going great. Uh, thought about sawing my arm off with an alien jawbone. Decided against yeah, it. I think yeah. it was the right call. I would have helped you. Yeah, Thank you. I think it's a Thank good, you. good call. That's, yeah. that's love. <laughs> so as you probably guessed uh, by now, we're, we're talking about uh, the great LucasArts 1995 game, The Dig. Not a dig, not dig, and not some dig. Not Stefan Dig. The Dig. <laughs> not Stefan Diggs. Not David Diggs. Uh, but yeah, and, this is another, uh, what's up? And not D.I. Double Gah Dig. Uh, nice, yes. they got To be named later sued. in a lawsuit yeah. <laughs> by LucasArts. Uh, yeah, so today is another classic point-and-click uh, adventure puzzle game from LucasArts. Uh, it's the 11th game to use their classic scum engine that started uh, with Maniac Mansion and that left-right scrolling world that they created. Uh, but this one's a little different than the last ones, right? Uh, it's it's very different. Um there is so much to love about this. This game has a very passionate fan base, and there is so much to not love. Um, so if you're used to <laughs> uh, LucasArts games, you're used to the humor, uh, they're cartoony, they're fun, they're goofy, uh, and the puzzles don't necessarily make sense, but uh, often it's kind of a joke where afterwards you look and you go, oh, I see why I did that. Uh, yeah. That's not the way it works in The Dig. In the dig, it's usually a series of random colors and shapes, and you just click them till it works. Um, there's yeah. uh, the game has been described as you know it's it's like LucasArts except it doesn't have a lot of humor. Uh, for me, the roughest part was that it attempted a lot of humor that while also trying to stay kind of serious. Yeah. So um, anyway, it's an interesting kind of weird game. Um, I think the worst part about the game is that it has so much promise that it doesn't deliver on. So we'll talk about that a little bit with the history of the development. Um, The worst part is that it could have been so, so much better than it was. Uh, But as it stands, it's still a fun game, still one you should check out. Yeah, there are a few games that we talk about that are like, uh, this person took the lead. Uh, I think Rebel Assault was like this. Uh, And and he did a great job, and he put a team together, and uh, they finished the game. Yeah, yep. the development of this game is almost as fascinating as the game. There's a lot of twists and turns, so we'll get there. This is a game uh, where yeah, first, um, one person. Uh, yeah. This is a game where one person had a vision, uh, yep. and then he shared that vision with someone else, uh, yep. and then he told them to do it. But he wanted to like sign off and everything, and then that second person handed it off to someone else because of yep. you know acts of God. Uh, and then by the time it was yeah, on true. its fifth director, um, it got released. So, um, yeah, we'll get into some of that. True. Is that someone, was that Steven Spielberg screaming in the background right there? That, by the that way? was, it was actually George Lucas's secretary <laughs> as, uh, oh, you'll wow. find out Yikes. in a moment. Yikes. Okay. Uh, so, uh, yeah, today we're going to chat some history, talk about making of the game. Uh, then we'll bring in a great Fomf, a uh, friend of low moral fiber. Uh, one more time. One more time on that. 
A fomf, F-O-L-M-F. <laughs> fomf. A good, he's a great fomf. Uh, he might be, even be a good ga, fomf. A gafomf. Anyway, Brent Peterson will be joining us uh, to chat all about what it was like <laughs> playing the game, uh, as well as play uh, another round of What's the Beer, What's the Song? And then finally, finally we'll end things on a luxurious note, uh, talking about next month's game. And of course, you can read all about that, this game, future games, past games, uh, games in parallel universes <laughs> on our virtual bungalow on the web, located at menoflowmoralfiber.com. All right, that was a mouthful. No more dawdling. Let's do this. Okay, so long before Armageddon, I know Brent brings this up later, Armageddon, one of the just seminal greatest films in American film history. Uh, and, you know, six weeks before that, there was Deep Impact, reaching back a little bit. Three years before that, actually, no. What would it be? Nine years before Nine that, 1989, before that. Steven Spielberg uh, was talking with George Lucas about working on his own asteroid-headed-for-Earth doomsday kind of story, right? Yeah. So um, Spielberg originally had this idea uh, as an episode of Amazing Stories, which was uh, this TV show that he had in the late 80s. Uh, ben, do you remember Amazing Stories at all? Not at all. Oh, totally freaked me out. Uh, <laughs> I, was, I was loved it too when it got canceled. Oh, that's a good call. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I don't know why I was allowed to watch it, but I loved it. Yeah. Uh, it was really cool and scary. Um, like I remember one about a ghost train that used to head through here, and then at the end, they finally believe the old man who hears the train coming, and they run out of the house, and the house bursts apart as a ghost train flies through it. Like they were weird. Is it like, are you afraid of the dark kind of style for adults, but like also still trying to be for okay. kids? Weird. That was kind of the line that LucasArts walked constantly. So it, all right. it split the difference between um, uh, what was the HBO one with the Crypt Keeper? Tales from the Crypt. Uh, it's yeah. it split the line yeah. between Tales from the Crypt and Are You Afraid of the Dark? Um, OK, which meant it was really weird. Um, sometimes yep. two adults, yep. sometimes two kidsy. Yeah. Anyway, so we had this great idea for an episode where there's an asteroid coming right at the Earth and some scientists go up there to destroy it. When they do, they find out uh, that it's part of an alien civilization uh, and then that Mm. leads to a fuller adventure. Well, somewhere along the way he went, you know, I don't think that we can afford this for the TV show, but maybe we could make a movie out of it. And then he started looking into it and realized, you know, I had enough trouble making dinosaurs exist for my upcoming movie, Jurassic Park. That's true. Uh, this is sounding like a lot of work and a lot of money to really pull off, but maybe it could become a video game. I've got a good friend named George Lucas and he owns a video game company. Let's set up a meeting. And so they did in, uh, fall of 1989. Um, Ben, do you remember the exact date of the meeting? I want to say it was the afternoon of October 17th. 1989? Yeah. Uh, I actually remember exactly where I was at the time. Me too. Jason, do you? Yes, yes, I do. Uh, We remember where we were because um, October 17th, 1989, of course, is the date of the Loma Prieta earthquake. Uh, And Ben and I were in the Bay Area at the time. So um, huge, big earthquake happened, not just in our lives, uh, but also during the middle of the first planning meeting for this. Yeah, an act of God spurred, uh, or spurred? An act of God uh, kind of kicked off the whole the dig uh, process in, in, in pre-pro. Yeah. I read pre-production as they say. Pre-pro. Uh, <laughs> fomf. Um, I read. An, yeah, yeah. Brent is a big fomf. Big fomf. Huge fomf. Uh, yep. I read an interview with Brian Moriarty, uh, the first of five lead designers um, on uh, the dig. 
And he talked about that meeting and, uh, you know, it's, he's really excited about this new game. He's going to work with Steven Spielberg. This is so cool. He's really moving up in the world. And during the middle of the meeting, this earthquake happens. The Tiffany chandelier is just swinging back and forth wildly over the table. And he hears George Lucas's secretary screaming from upstairs. Um, just like you can hear my daughter screaming from the other room. Exactly. It's called Foley, people. Yeah. Okay. Spared, spared no expense. Spared no expense. Um <laughs> Just keeping it back to Jurassic Park, bringing um, it back. Well, thus began the curse of the dig. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So I True. actually found an article about the curse of the dig, uh, and it says that— Oh, I was going to say we should write that if there wasn't Oh, it totally one. exists, uh, and it's written really okay. melodramatically. Well, it saves us some time. Oh, yeah. Written really melodramatically, just over the top. Let me tell you a tale. Um, I mean, yes. it's interesting. It's, it's kind of fun. Um, yeah. Yeah. But uh, not everything is as bad as an earthquake, uh, but just lots and lots and lots of little things went wrong along the way. Um, each one setting it back um, months and uh, took six years for the game to come out. Story had changed dramatically during the time and gone through five lead designers. Um, and by the time that came out, the graphics engine was three years old, uh, meaning that Basically, it's Monkey Island level graphics. Um, yeah. Not much beyond that. Um, and it would have been great if it had come out in 1992 or 1993. Um, mm-hmm. Because it came out in 1995, a lot of that really shows. Um, yeah. And I, I think that that was part of the response of it's a beautiful game, but it felt dated already. Well, especially when they combined a lot of the – I mean they had ILM come in and do some of the computer graphic cutscenes. And those cutscenes are gorgeous, but it is weird having them back to back with the scum engine, the pixelated design that um, just looks really dated at the time. I mean, it doesn't look bad, but yeah, they, they don't match up very well. Um, and it, I'm sure for ILM, it was tough to be like, hey, make this look worse because yeah. they were so used to polishing things up constantly and trying to make them look better. So matching technology from six years ago probably – well, apparently, I mean, as we can tell, it wasn't wasn't an easy task. So I think that explains a lot of the issues with the story, as well as just some inconsistent inconsistencies with character, weird tonal shifts yeah. in the game where I was like, what's what is it? Seal Team 6? Space, space Time space 6. Time 6? <laughs> Surfside 6. Yeah, it was weird where Surfside 6 came out. Um, when they talk about Space Time 6 at the very end of the game is like something we've been talking about the entire game. I remember calling you at the end of the game, which being like, should I know what Space Team 6 is without having to Google so, it since this game came out before Google? So you did some research. What is Space Time 6? Oh, my gosh. I know I texted it to you a while ago. Hold on. <laughs> the three dimensions of space meeting the three dimensions of time. Length, yeah. length, width, height, past, present, future. Oh. In other, well, that makes in sense. In other words, it's right now Everything. what we live in. It's... Um, so if that's the case, Stuff. I totally don't understand it. Like that sounds a lot like the world that I live in. Yeah, yeah. Maybe um, anyway. Maybe so they had the- one more dimension, so it was like <laughs> the seventh dimension, and they called that dimension Fomf. Then I'd be okay with it. Fomf. So there, there's one person that we knew actually really well. Is, we've talked about her before, Mary Burr, uh, who is the director of marketing for LucasArts throughout most of the '90s. Uh, and she was at, we actually found a quote from her in the great Rogue Leaders book uh, that says, goes as such. Uh, begin quote. <clears throat> the game suffered several setbacks for not having one creative visionary on our end to interface consistently with DreamWorks. Wow, that was tough to say without laughing. DreamWorks, uh, as we all know, is uh, Steven Spielberg's company that was working with 
uh, the five different uh, designer or directors, the leaders of the Dig project. So she talks uh, in greater length, basically just how they're the fact that every year in the development, there was a new person to talk to Steven Spielberg about this project. So I'm sure Steven was getting a little, I, that's what I call him. That's what I text him. Stevie. Steve. Mr. Stevie was getting a little, uh, a little perturbed with George and his team. Cause every time he picked up the phone to talk to them about the next, next setup, the next plot line, whatever it was, um, there was a new director. It seemed like it, I'm sure. So he was having to kind of reimagine and reinterpret all of these thoughts he had into someone and kind of build that world up again every single time it changed. I mean, with all the different directors and everything, I'm not sure if that's the reason the puzzles were so difficult, um, but I really felt like someone hated me when I was playing this game. So I don't know which of the five of them hated yes. me. It might have been three yeah. or four of them, but but somebody was mad at me. Yeah. For, are you kidding me? More My nemesis. Yeah, it was a little rough. It did seem like every time I... Even at the end, when I knew kind of what I needed to do, I'm like, oh, all I have are these two life crystals, and there's a hole over there on the other side of the planet island thing that has two life crystal-sized hole holes in it. Perfect. Boom. Even that took 10 minutes to kind of go get the life crystals, go back there, realize I didn't you know, grab the wrong kind or whatever, and just walking all over and the that, planet. That's so, true, but that really yeah. undersells it because that kind of makes some kind of sense. I think yeah, what we need to talk true. about is that about a third of the way through, and so far all the puzzles have been like – there's one thing in the room and you have one thing in your inventory. Could these go together? Right, right. Uh, and it's really just kind of moving you along, getting the story going. Uh, you've solved maybe three or four smaller puzzles and feel a little bit, you know, hey, it's working. And then you get to this puzzle where you have to first off find a room that isn't clear. You you can only find it if you hover on just the right part of the map. Um, then you go downstairs where you didn't know there was a downstairs. Uh, activate a robot using a series oh my of gosh, codes the worst. that you can only enter once you've moved some crystals around. The codes don't make any sense whatsoever, or, or I never understood how they worked. No, um, no sense. And then once you get the little robot activated, then you have to do another code to get him to polish a mirror, which you didn't know was there. <laughs> it's not like you had the mirror and we're or hanging on to it. why I wanted to polish no, no, the mirror. No, no, no. He just goes and polishes a mirror, and then everything works. Um, so this is also, this is something that comes up. I think it's come up twice so far in the history of month where, because we don't have these giant boxes of games and, and interactive CD ROMs, uh, to, to play these games on for the most part. I mean, for the most part, we're getting these, uh, online. We're finding emulators or we're buying them on, um, on gog.com, uh, where it has all these games that you can buy. So because we're not doing that, a lot of times they don't come with the, uh, what's it called? The. Manual. The, the manual, thank you. Yeah. yeah, so because we're doing this, uh, I'd say about half the time these games don't come with any sort of like PDF manual at all, which back in the day came with weird puzzle slider things or some sort of um, password or something that had copyright protection. So you can just give these CD-ROMs, make copies of them, and just give them to your friends. So um, I think that because we didn't have that, that might have been a few answers to a few of these puzzles that we had to just look up because – Literally, there was no answer to other than random yeah. guessing for hours. Well, I wonder with that one if that's the case because it was so random. And yet yeah. when I was looking at the reviews from the time, they talked about some puzzles taking hours of just mm. trial and error. Um, oh, my gosh. And that's not good writing. having no explanation. And that makes me think of that exact puzzle. I can't imagine anything yeah. else in it. There, there were difficulties. But none of them would have taken hours of trial and error like that. Uh, they said it's it, like, it yeah. felt like mist. Yeah. It's like writing a, a – a, a, horror, a thriller story or whatever that was a twist ending that gave no clues at all to the twist ending. Right, right. 
And it just was like, here it is. It was Bill. He was the killer the whole time. Except you had to guess it was Bill or something. I mean, yeah. it's just it's just not good writing. And I'm hoping because that is so so rare with LucasArts that that's one of those things. That's one of the setbacks or whatever thing you know that, that they were talking about with having five different directors along the way. That it just it seemed almost unfinished. Parts of the things like that made it seem like that. I do want to watch a thriller sometime where it's revealed at the end that I'm the murderer. Um, I well, there's clues, so. so that would be good writing. Yeah, there's, there's clues to that for years. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, let's not talk about it. So uh, one thing I don't know if you knew along the way is – well, two things. Three things – no, OK. Just two Ooh, things. Ooh, uh, my mind. <laughs> one uh, is that there was a uh, novelized version of The Dig. Yes, written by Alan Dean Foster. Um, and it's actually in the mail on the way to your house right now. No. Yeah, it's, it costs all of 99 uh, cents. <laughs> oh, wow. This is going to be great. I got um, you the hardcover because I know you like keepsakes. I, I read that it was panned um, and that one of the reviews said that uh, it really suffers from being uh, adapted from a video game, but not because <laughs> yeah. video games are bad, but because literally in the novel, he's just walking around picking things up and putting them <laughs> in his inventory. Maybe I'll try this life crystal. No, that <laughs> life crystal didn't work. <laughs> I'm excited for you to read that and tell us about it. It's a, there's also oh. a copy on the way to my house, so we'll oh. write an adventure on that in a month or so. And oh, man. It'll be great. This is going to be uh, interesting. But- <laughs> but also uh, another thing is that the this is the first LucasArts game to have included with it uh, or not included with it but to make along with it um a soundtrack so they yeah. sold the audio CD yeah. just as separately a soundtrack which I guess was lucrative enough they sold enough copies that, that was a good idea um there's actually reviews of it at the time and it seemed to be better reviewed than the actual game itself it was a good soundtrack i enjoyed the score yeah, yeah it was good um Another really cool thing about the game is, uh, and this is, once again, why we wish this was a better game than it was, the concept art is so killer. Um, Oh my gosh, yeah. Some of it was actually done by the woman who designed the dinosaurs for Jurassic Park. She had a degree in biology, so she built the aliens structurally, you know, started with the bones. Uh, Could this thing actually live? Um, And then would it rub its goatee on our lead character's hand? Um, Right. How would it do that? How would it do that? Um, and That's I, another thing that reminds me of, of uh, Stranger Things, actually. The creatures yeah. in Stranger Things look a lot like the creatures on this planet. Agreed. The graphics Agreed. are a little better in Stranger Things. A little but. bit. Yeah, so I think uh, with Brent, we talk a little bit about the impossible puzzles. We get more into that. We get more into just the gameplay and all that. Uh, anything else you want to talk about before we well, bring Brent on? Uh, Spielberg's idea with this was not only to have a novelization, but also to kind of test the waters with the game and then mm. be able to make his movie. Um, I think, in a sense, Armageddon and Deep Impact might have ruined that. The movie yeah. for The Dig would certainly be better than either of those. Um, but, you know, we haven't heard about it in 20 years. He could be working on it. Could be ready to come out. You know? Michael Bay. Michael Bay. Stealing ideas again. Steven always, Spielberg. Always. Um, oh, and we need to talk about the fact that uh, the T-1000 plays our hero. Oh, yeah. Robert Patrick. Robert Patrick. Called to John himself. Um, the whole time we were playing the game, we were calling each other, texting each other, being like, I know, I know this guy. We just didn't look it up until the end. Yeah. And it was, yeah, that's the voice. We knew it. We should we have noticed. Know it, but we should have known it. We should have noticed when uh, Boston had that really weird running scene where he's just running kind of with robot arms. But, His um, arms morphed into knives and he started that, hacking that weird. people in half. That was, that was a weird, weird scene. Yeah. But, oh, hey, that would have come in handy in that scene with Brink had, and his hand stuck in the crack. It's true. It's true. That's the only reason you needed that stupid jawbone from earlier. Yeah, good to know. What if you didn't pick the jawbone up earlier? Oh, I guess Brink just dies. No, you must have. Had Either way, to. he just dies. Yeah. 
everybody dies and comes back to life. I guess you would have had to. And are sometimes Man. more or less happy with you when they come back to life. Do you have to... Is there a way that you can play the game without having the jawbone? I, I want to figure this out now. I'm sorry go, for bringing this go, up on the podcast. Give it a whirl. Go try. I think I'm going to go try. I'll let you guys know later. Yeah. All right. Without further ado... Uh, any more ado? No, no, I think we're good. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, Brent Peterson. This is an interview with our special guest. We're going to... Ask him about the gameplay and we'll handle the rest. Yeah. So we're back in from the interview music. Um, it's a great song. Yep. Really, really yep. enjoyed it. Beautiful. Uh, and we're here <laughs> with Brent Peterson. Uh, Brent, don't laugh yep. before I say your name. Uh, you don't yep, exist until I say your name. Um, <laughs> Brent is a, a good friend from back in the day. Uh, mainly Ben's friend, but also mine. Uh, yep. And because of that connection, uh, I know I know virtually nothing about Brent. I, yep. I know him well, and yep. yet, like, ask me what Brent does for a living. I, is he a doctor? Is he a plumber? I have no idea. You know I the ge- answer. To that. I genuinely have no idea. You really, you really have no the idea. Same thing your wife does. No, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't want to guess the things my wife does. Uh, special ed. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Nice. That's right. Nice. Yeah. We've talked about that, Brent. I, I'd forgotten. You're absolutely Many right. times, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's even weirder because we've been in the same fantasy football league for nine years now. It's been about nine years, yeah. yeah. So we trash talk and hang out uh, online a lot. But yeah, we rarely sit down and have a long conversation. Or you two rarely sit down and have long conversations. So so, so we have in- intimacy without that kind of information. So Ex- Exactly. It's, it's exactly. really great to be able to talk to you. Uh, They're basically so, but, on Tinder. Yeah, exactly. Swipe right, man. Right. Uh, is that this the, is, is a one, wonderful is, is intro, by the way, guys. Thank All right, you. so yeah, Brent and I were uh, roommates in college, uh, longtime friends, and he yeah. is uh, driving through uh, beautiful Northern California on his way from Seattle to LA. He stopped by. I told him to play this game, uh, and he did somehow for whatever reason. Uh, and so we tricked him into getting on the podcast. So welcome, Brent Peterson. It's, welcome, Brent. It's my Peterson. pleasure. So, yeah. So Brent, first longest question, intro ever. Are, are you a gamer? And what kinds of games do you play? That's yeah. a fantastic question. I, I talked to Ben about this a little bit when I when I first got here too. I I no, I am not a I'm you know simply right. no. Yeah. Um, I did not get my first video game console till I believe I was a freshman in high school. All right. And wow. I okay. the only video game exposure I had growing up at least was going to cousins' houses or your friends' houses and staying up late playing whatever. Um, but not having my own until high school really kind of took away a lot of the you know early stages of, of gaming and i yeah. never really got into it i'd actually right now currently do not own a gaming system either yeah. Yeah. um i don't know just kind of not not what i grew up around but I, I still enjoy playing and and it was always enjoyable to play with ben you know when we lived together throughout college and put some madden and call of duty and that kind of thing right yeah. i tend to lean more towards the sports games yeah. but you know it's it's still you know i still enjoy playing anything really that's put in front of me so yeah. yeah, yeah, we. we so for, put part it of that there, reason um, is why we wanted to get Brent's kind of unique perspective because it's mm-hmm. we're getting yeah. a lot of Jason and Ben perspective. This kind of old nerdy LucasArts fan <laughs> gamer that's played every console we could think of. So to get like kind of an outsider, not so much yeah. an outsider as like one of our wives that has never played video games in their lives, <laughs> uh, or well, I guess my wife. Uh, but yeah, Brent's kind of one foot in, one foot out. So really interested in getting so his the, perspective on the Dig specifically. So the genre of the Dig is a point and click adventure. Um, and now that you've pointed and clicked, you understand why it's called that. Uh, had you ever played anything like this? Um, 
I can honestly say no. No. Okay. Getting close to this at all or just totally different? I mean, as far as the point and click aspect of it, for sure, I can't, I honestly can't think of any comparison. Um, This is far growing up. That's, I mean, that's really about it. All I can say. I mean, it's just, I really don't have anything I can think of. Fair. But it is really unique. Mm -hmm. Right. It's not a super popular style when people think of console games, especially. Yeah. So. Yeah, so, over, so overall, then, since you're if you've never played a game like it, what's your twenty thirty second review of it? You don't have to talk forever, sure. but just kind of your general impressions. Yeah. No, I um I I will say this that you know well you and I had a discussion earlier today, mm. and you 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 kind of gave me a quick little synopsis of what the game would be yeah. like. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, um, or at least the way that you described it was, it's kind of weird. Yeah. I think it's the word you use. You said weird. Yep. And you know, I, I started looking at a few screenshots of it online and everything. I'm like, oh, this actually looks. That looks really good. When was this made? And yeah. you said 1995. Mm-hmm. And and I was a little floored by that. I thought it looked very nice for a 1995 video game. Mm-hmm. And um, and I didn't think it looked very strange or anything. I looked at it at, at first. And then we, we started playing and we watched the intro and everything else. I actually thought it was pretty straightforward. It was, it was very, yeah. um, like, it was aesthetically um appealing and everything it wasn't too strange or odd or anything i i really enjoyed it at the beginning um kind of as the game went on though i it it started to become um a little bit more of a struggle to get through i definitely needed help um from you personally you were sitting right next to me telling me what to do and everything and i definitely needed help with how to find certain items or or whatever and um it the i think the actual um the overall plot of the entire game got more complicated and a little bit more yeah, totally. um, fantastical right. as oh, opposed yeah. to the beginning, which seemed to be kind of like, oh, this is like the government is involved right. and NASA everything. And yeah, and yeah. Science, yeah. And then later on, you're like, oh, this is this really reached out into a whole different realm by the end of it. So Ghosts and sci-fi and weird horse alien pony things. <laughs> right. So right. I, I feel yeah. like I just got to say it then. Um, go play Day of the Tentacle. Like, oh, yeah, go play a point and click adventure. That's just a lot of fun and it's really funny and enjoyable. Uh, the dig is a lot of things, but I wouldn't call it just, you know, plain fun and silly. Yeah, um, it's, it's <laughs> a little bit more intense. So I think Day of the Tentacle would be a much better kind of starter course for you. I, I will say that there were a few moments playing it that I definitely would not consider. Um, yeah, fun what, or whatsoever. It was there was a few dark things that happened in it oh kind gosh. of playing <laughs> it. So it was yeah. it, it definitely had a uh, it was a, <laughs> it's just it's it was something things happened a few times where I did not expect it to happen. Yep. Yeah. Yep. All right. And we can get into that. I mean, because this is also gameplay for Jason and I. This is more than yeah. just an interview with Brent. So I think the the few things that, that frustrated us were the fact that or was were the fact that uh it seemed like we'd just get lost. Yeah. And when we, we ended up looking at a couple walkthroughs at a couple of really hard points that honestly I don't know if I ever would have discovered, or or if I had, it would have just been like Hours and hours of clicking around this one thing, but not quite clicking on the triangle or the mo- the two moons in the tomb that you had to stand on in order for something to happen. Yeah. Like the engraving rod, like the, just so many things that we tried for hours and got nowhere. Right. And when we finally looked up the walkthrough, it was something like just right to next to what we tried. So we never would have gone back to it. Yeah. So the, some of those puzzles that it, in Day of the Tentacle or Maniac Mansion or Sam and Max that if because that had that um Schaeferian type comedy to it if you will uh 
it was there was a logic to it. They were like, "Oh, squeaky bed. The mouse toy squeaks. Oh, I'll squeak the bed to get the mouse to go, or the the cat to go over here." There were some of those things that just kind of never would have happened because they didn't have that element of comedy at all present. That just made the puzzles just extremely difficult, I guess, really uh, inaccessible. Yeah, and just for the record, Ben, that was the puzzle we got stuck on in Day of the Temple. Yeah. That was the most difficult yeah, true. puzzle. That's and true. None of the puzzles in this were as easy as that. Like, yeah, it was few. complex, abstract, difficult. It was definitely for an engineering mind, uh, not artsy fartsy English majors like us. Well, <laughs> in the last what forty minutes, last forty five minutes are you do like three things, yeah. but you walk all over the map, and if you walking. forget one thing, walking. you have to go all the way across the map to get those green, the life egg crystal things. And oh my gosh, that is frustrating. That just seemed like a lot of busy work that. It should have been the end of the game. It should have been like the fun, like climax where people are dying and you're fine. You know, you're getting back to earth and it just seemed like a slog the last, yeah. especially like 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. Other than that, we're just going to, we're just going <laughs> to complain about the game. Other than that, I totally agree with Brent and it, it's, a, it was made in 95 and some of these backgrounds just look like gorgeous paintings, even though they're right pixelated mm-hmm. and they're not high res at all. But the way that they use that, those pixels and those hard edges, those waterfalls and some of those sunsets and the moons and the eclipses and like those backgrounds are just painted gorgeously. Game is beautiful. It really, yeah. really mm-hmm. is. Definitely. So to to keep on the track of beauty, Brent, what yeah. was your reaction when Boston uses an alien jawbone to saw off Brink's hand? I well, we talked not two minutes ago about some of the dark things that happened. And I, without yeah. a doubt with the darkest thing that I observed yes. playing the game was definitely that I did not expect that to happen. I mean, I, this is my perspective as someone who didn't play the entire game yeah. because Ben, you and I kind of did our, the sections of it. Yeah. Brent, you played the first hour or so and or, then the last roughly, hour and a half. Something right. Like that. Yeah. yeah. And, and honestly, I, as it's occurring, I'm like, what overall, what, what is the point of this? Right. This doesn't really seem is this something just to kind of make the game <laughs> much more memorable or whatever? Because if they did, you know, mission accomplished. But it was it was something that I found um, pretty just kind of morbid that that it just happened out of the blue like that. And you know, you know, he got his hand stuck and and everything. And I'm trying to understand exactly what, what was the, the point, point, of, point that? of that. What, what was, was the, the point? point of that? Like, and and also and also on top of that, it's distracting because he yeah. calls you and says, yeah. you, need, "You need to come help me." They they both go down there. They help him, and then, oh, I gotta go get my crystals and everything to get, to figure out my relic. You know, so and then you just follow him over there, and you get it. Yeah, yeah. I don't. That was weird. That was really weird. So what Spielberg originally pitched this as a yeah. movie, and I think in some senses it makes more sense as a movie. And yes. especially there were a lot of scenes scene, that, that's like yeah. that's that's shocking, and then you move on that's from true. it. True. But when you have more volition and more control over it, that scene makes less sense because it doesn't get you from A to B. Right. Um, yeah. in, in a movie, you get away yeah. with a couple scenes that don't get you from A to B. It's a little character development. But in a video game, everything needs to, to serve a purpose. Um, I would actually. So that scene just seems weird. Can I contradict you? Please. I would think in a movie, every single line, every scene, every shot in a good movie is there for a reason and is there because something else happens. You never have a scene of a sunset unless you're telling people that the day is ending or that someone's shift is starting or yeah. that some, you know, it's a sad time, whatever it is. Like there's meaning to every single thing mm-hmm. in a video game. That was a puzzle. It was a pretty easy puzzle. Cause you just looked at things you had in your satchel and you 
right. tried to get the shovel, you tried the the tusk, all these things. Uh, and finally something sawed his arm off. But it seemed like to me the opposite where it was because it was a video game. They're like, well, let's do a puzzle that like, you know, we're kind of bored here. Maybe this was streamlining too fast or maybe there wasn't enough happening. So they yeah. wanted to give the user an experience of accomplishment while they were doing all these other frustrating puzzles. Uh, but they threw this one in there because it was like a nice little five-minute solve. Yeah. Even though it didn't add well, to the overall plot that a movie would have, I would think. Let me add a caveat then. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, I think you're right. In a movie, everything does have a purpose, but that purpose won't necessarily be in the end goal of the plot. It can be in terms of character development. Okay. Or sure. all kinds mm-hmm. of other things, setting a mood. But it, the, mood, the greater yeah. purpose is not the plot goal, but uh, the feeling, the the kind of emotion the, the movie elicits. Um, in a video game, though, it gets really strange when you do things that don't move forward the plot in some way. Yeah, I agree so with that. The long dialogue have, scenes, yeah. Yeah. Even when you have a side quest, usually it's because you get stuck at a bridge. And so you have to go do this side quest to complete something yeah. that will get you across this bridge. Um, and... Brink having his arm stuck in the crack didn't really do that. It just seemed like either, yeah, moving along. I, another observation that I'm I'm kind of as, as a hot take for right now is is that I think about is I'm ready. I don't want to say specifically what happens uh, at this point, but oh no, no, we spoil the, away. Yeah, okay. spoilers, spoilers about. Okay, so you know, towards the end of the game, um, there's a, there's a, a scene back at the relic, um. Where they're you know trying to get the crystals to work and everything else yeah. to make the relic work, they there's a few things that happen that require two hands. Yeah, and he was able to do a couple of functions with two hands, but he did it with only one. Apparently, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So so showing that he wasn't when, as good as he used to be. When he lifted up, he lifted up like a oh, yeah. boulder. One handed. I mean, I guess you. I I know that you can pry it up against your hand, but like you're going to hit somebody with it and try to kill them. It's hard to do with one hand. So 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 what about this? Did he have two hands in that cutscene? No, I I noticed it. It was awkward and it was weird. Okay. okay. What about if when Brink is trying to kill Boston, he reaches out with his hand that's not there and misses something and then falls and dies? I like that. That would have been cool. That would have been. That would have fixed so many things. Exactly. It would have made sense. Yes, Ben. So I think I was, I was thinking about this when I first started playing it about two hours into the game that it, it going into it, I was like, oh, this is a movie. So that's why a lot of cinematic shots. You see a lot of the shading on the shuttle as it's rotating and the comet, just gorgeous shots. And then as going along, I was like, this is kind of a boring game. First of all, there's not a lot of laughter. Second of all, not boring because it's a bad game, but just a lot of long dialogue. And especially that first hour when I'm on the comet, the asteroid. Uh, Attila, where you're just talking to people to figure out what to do. And it felt like that was endless talking to what four different people about 12 different things each. Every single time something happens, you can re talk about those things. And it was just to me, that's when I realized or had the, first, the, the thought that I think the best medium for this would be a book. Yeah. Because in books, yeah. when people are dialoguing. Hmm. It can go on for 20 pages, and in my mind, I'm like, oh, it's just a good conversation. I'm not waiting. I'm not, it's rare unless it's just written poorly. It's, it's, you know, it's rare in a book where you're like just waiting to get to the next thing, and you're just like right. hating it, which right. it seemed like there were scenes in this game that I was just like, okay, next scene. But it actually, as soon as I had that thought, it reminded me of C.S. Lewis' uh, Paralandra, hmm. which yeah. is very similar. They take a yeah. shuttle to a planet. Hmm. He meets a guy who's crazy who ends up being Satan. Spoiler alert. And it, I mean, it's just a lot of similar things. You're building things on this planet and you're chasing each other and you're 
a lot of similar but, scenes, actually, scene by scene, that it reminded me a lot of it. In terms of the plot, this thing was just so right up my alley. Like, ancient aliens, kind of an yeah. invasion, science and mm. puzzle solving. It felt like a lost Neil Stevenson book that I wanted to read. True. And, yeah. hmm. and yet it missed me on so many levels uh, just because of the way that the genre interacted with that. I didn't think that they lent themselves well to that. So I don't think that yeah. this was failure of being a bad game designer in anything in any sense or it was here are some really cool things let's try and mix them together i don't know that they fit yeah that's fair yeah all right so moving on uh as far as puzzles do we have a favorite puzzle least favorite puzzle least uh, favorite puzzle is just anything it? i have to put a code in for any of those stupid red and green and the, the color things. and shapes thing was yeah that was rough yeah well, was rough. Ben you had to you had to literally tell me what to do because it well otherwise, it took me ten minutes to figure it out so exactly I was like, Let's otherwise that. we'd be down there all we'd be down here all night we'd still be playing still, it now we'd yeah. still be putting yeah. it in blue triangles yeah. right Brent you oh skipped gosh, four of them rough. you skipped four of those you did of one of them or two of them yeah I only oh did one yeah, and did even one. that one was tough yeah dude it was not easy yeah. Uh, all right, I got a question. So, right. Brent, yeah. what was your favorite Robert Patrick moment? The moment where you're like, oh, my gosh, Boston Lowe is the T-1000. Was it when he walked <laughs> slowly from one area to another and you were like, I can see the T-1000 doing that? When he stuck his arm through Maggie's shoulder and told her to call to John? Like, when was it? Right. Call to John. I thought that was strange, <laughs> but... At one, I don't know how to answer this question. That's fair. I really, I really don't. Jay, I really was, don't know how to answer that question. That was one of those Jason questions where he yeah. just wants to ask a question. I know. I yeah. just, I have no idea how to respond <laughs> to it. And then you realize it's not a question at all. He's just. Well, right. you, you realize it at the yeah. end. You're like, oh, wait, Ben. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. Good times. Good times. All right. So I think we should move on to uh, two of our favorite questions. This game's pretty fun. All right, so Brent and I had a nice long talk today about Westy 12. Uh, and I explained what Westy 12 was. Because he's listened to all, what, yeah. six or seven episodes Every so single far? one. Every uh, single one. He, he never questioned at all what Westy 12 was until today. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think he just kind of assumed it was something that, I don't know what he assumed, but he never Googled it. Okay, I will say this. Like, <laughs> listen, I, I'm, a, I'm a friend of the pod. Yeah, I, I gotta yeah. be honest. I'm a oh, friend yeah. of the pod. I listen to every single one you guys GFOP do. GFOP over here. GFOP, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> I, there are maybe maybe forty to fifty percent of the things that you guys say <laughs> is obscure to me, anyways. So I honestly don't. Wow. I don't ask any questions. I'm just like, oh yeah, it's Westy Twelve, whatever that is. Uh, I don't. And he's not like he's not like our mom or like our wives that don't listen to podcasts that much. He's our target that audience. To ours just because they're like. Oh, right. Whatever. You know, I'll listen to my friend's pod because I have nothing else to do. He's, Brent listens to as many podcasts as we do. He listens to like dozens a day. He's literally. And he still finds time to listen to this. He's literally our love, target audience it. and <laughs> our friend, and he doesn't get half of what we say. I love this so much. I love it. That's amazing. <laughs> exactly. That's amazing. So, yes, Westy 12. For those of you that don't know, there's an Abbey, I believe, in Belgium or Austria? That's Belgium. Belgium. West Flatteren. Belgium. I should have stuck with it. Uh, West Philedrin, uh, where they make a 12% alcohol, uh, Abbey Ale, a, a quad. 
quad, I guess. A quad. A uh, Belgian quad that is just one of the highly, most highly sought after beers in the world. One of the rarest beers in the world and hi- consistently one of the highest rated yeah. beers in the world by Beer Advocate, Rate Beer, and all these beer magazines. So, not, not sold outside uh, I've of I've never Belgium. had it. Jason's never had it, but we've made clones of it. We it have. tastes amazing, and we hope they taste anything like Westy 12, the actual one. Anyway, and someday we'll play a game that tastes that good. And Ben has a little surprise for you, Brent, uh, if you're ready for it. Oh he's boy. got a bottle of Westy 12 that he's going to go crack open for you. He's got well, it's the my, bottle. Well, it's my clone. He's, it's your clone. Oh, wait, you made this. I made wow. this. Wow. Wow. Okay. Now we're talking. And this is uh, the only only the Great second port. time Ben's ever Great had port. one of these. Yeah, this is a, a clone of Westy 12 that Jason Ooh. made a few months ago. We haven't aged properly yet, but this is... Uh... Yeah, so it was right about now that we talked for about 10 minutes about uh, this uh, Westy 12 clone. So I apologize. Uh, let's get right into what's the beer, what's the song. If you do ever want to hear our, our, our 10 minutes on this random beer that Jason made, let us know. We'll send you a copy of our conversation. All right. What's the beer? What's the song? Here we go. Sweet. Okay. So let's jump into this. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry for people that don't drink or have, don't even care about micro brews or, or any of that. But uh, this beer is delicious. Uh, yeah. Hopefully you homebrew. If you don't, let us know. We'll give you some tips on how to get started. All right. Uh, so what's the beer? Who wants to go first? Take it, Brent. All right. All right. Yeah. I... I honestly uh, gave gave some thought to this for sure, and and I'm I'm sure that you guys will make fun of me for this too. But awesome, uh, someone excited. as someone who, as the way I described it earlier, my opinion of the game <laughs> is it started off. I actually thought it started off great. Mm-hmm. Um, it it was everything was straightforward, and it it seemed like a simple idea. Um, and I actually honestly picked this quote unquote beer. Because of the label, partially too. Okay. The the label on this um, has a little bit of the same artistic like um, value as say the, the game itself. And um, honestly, the the drink that I chose nice. is an Angry Orchard hard cider. Nice. Okay. And honestly, it's right. I it, not technically really a beer, it's a cider. Fine. Yeah. But um, I obviously the label is yeah. what, is as I described earlier. But also on top of that, it's something that. I personally don't drink very often. Yeah. Um, much like this game would be the same. Sure. Um, and on top of that, I thought that I think that with a hard cider, when you first taste it, to me at least, it tastes it tastes great. It yeah. tastes sweet. Yeah. Everything else, it's something that you plan on finishing. But by the end of it, for me at least, it's kind of a slog to get through, and you just want to be done. Yeah. And that's Fair. that's the way that I would describe this game. Like at the beginning, things were were great. Like this yeah. is awesome. Then by the end, the, the, there's so much dialogue, so much walking. I just want to be done. The puzzles are confusing. Um, and so I just want to see the bottom of the glass. <laughs> 16 the ounces of, of cider is a lot of cider. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Right. That's a good point. Yeah. I like that. That's good. All right. I'm going. Do it. Uh, I chose. I went with uh, Anchorage Brewing's Galaxy White IPA, Ooh, which is one of my all-time favorite one. beers. And I haven't had it in three or four years, but... When I first had it, I went back and got almost a case of it because it, it blew my mind. Yeah. It was back in 2011, 10, somewhere in there when wide IPAs were kind of a new thing. Uh, but it's, it to me, the, the game was a long journey, had beautiful moments along the way, kind of meanders, uh, but, you know, overall a very enjoyable experience. And that's kind of what Anchorage uh, or the 
Galaxy White IPA. Obviously, it has the Galaxy aspect to it. Uh, and I wrote down the that you know as Maggie Brink and Boston all ex- explored the outer reaches of space, so does Anchorage push the boundaries on what we know as beer. Ah, uh, and most of Anchorage's beers they they use wild yeast, yeah. which is why they do, which is why I, I, they're pushing kind of the limits of beer. So, mm. uh, yeah, the beer blows my mind. The game at moments blew my mind. Um, I don't really have the negative part of the beer like I do on the game, but let's just get past that. Oh, Jason, don't, what's your beer? don't worry, I got the negatives covered. Uh, Good, so go, go for it. My beer is um, Arrogant Bastard uh, from from nice. Stone, and yeah, um, great choice. I I chose it because it's not a beer I really like. Um, it's it, and I don't have a, a feeling of dislike because it's you know poorly made or it does this or it does that. For whatever reason, it's just not a beer that's connected with me. Um, and it's a shame because I know a lot of people like it and you can get it in a lot of places. And so like this game, it's something that a lot of people are passionate about. A lot of people really love this game. And yet for me, it, it just never connected with me. Um, and so I, I feel bad saying that's the reason to, to choose it this way, but, uh, yeah, yeah that's, fair. that's, that's my connection. All right. You want to jump into your song? I'll do it. Uh, this is a, a little song off of Mensch Machine. Um, that's the name of the album. Uh, Mensch Machine. Hey. Anybody want to guess the band? This is coming out of 1978. No idea. Whoa. I don't know. Devo? Hey, you're a little bit on the right track. Here you listen to it. It's Kraftwerk. And this one's going out to break. Oh, Kraftwerk, of course. Uh, because it's influential, it's interesting, uh, it's well-made, well-constructed, uh, complex, and yet... I don't want to listen to it. Um, yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> Craftwork's another one of those things I never connected with, but I know it's it's my vegetables. I, sh- I should like it more than I do. So I the like song like the is reasoning. Space Lab off of Mensch Machine. I like it. Uh, let's go back. I'll, so I'll do my song. Mm-hmm. So my song, uh, I, I basically went with a song again that's kind of a long journey, meanders, beautiful moments, uh, and is one of my all-time favorite songs. Um, just like this game is one of my all-time favorite video game companies, I guess. <laughs> That's my <laughs> connection. Uh, but, Jason, if you can guess this. Uh, horse-like creatures, uh, intergalactic Wait, travel I've got adventure. Wait, I'm already there. Horse-like Wait for creatures. It. And strange lights and lasers. Knights of Sidonia. That's perfect. It's, yeah. Probably too loud for the kids. <laughs> Laser horses. Oh, man, I love that song. All right, Brent, you're up. Awesome. Well, playing the beginning of the game, I'm watching it, and it has kind of a movie feel to it. And I turn to Ben, and I go, this is basically like Armageddon. But in all seriousness, okay. that's not the song I chose. Okay, good. Oh, <laughs> oh, the fake out. I, I will say this. I, I think that um, this was easy for me. Oh, nice. And it was easy for me not necessarily because of necessarily the song reminds me of the game or yeah. vice versa. Yeah. It's more of what this song represents for this specific artist in his career path. All right. And um, I thought that... Um, this, like I described earlier with, with the drink and everything else from our description, is that um, starts off great, a lot of promise, um, 
by the end of it, you're really having a hard time defending it. Yin Yang Twins, what's happening? <laughs> Dude, I can defend that forever. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> that song is easily over ten of, years old. A lot of n words in that one. And, I, and Ben, you also hit the nail on the head though with the fact that I, as a, I'm a hip hop aficionado, you know, so I, of course I had to choose a hip hop song. Solid. But I wanted to choose more of what the artist is in this, and this is kind of like the career arc this person's have had in relation to, um, in relation to the game. Okay. And um, this song was kind of the turning point. For this artist's career, all right. great promise beginning, hit singles all over the place, and then everything after this for me has just been awful and something that's been really tough to defend um, and something I don't really want to do or listen to. Sure. <laughs> so, my choice is. I don't know what you heard about me. What if you can't get a dollar out of me? And the reason I chose. PIMP by 50 Cent is that the this is actually a song that's on probably his best album, which is Get Rich or Die Trying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I thought that every song that led up to this song on the album was fantastic. Um, such a popular thing to listen to in high school. I listened to the album continuously, even all the way through the end of high school. Um, it came out probably my junior year of high school or so, so it was the second half of my high school career, but I think every song that I've heard since that song came out, because I'm not a big fan, actually, of PIMP, but every song that he's basically come out with since then, I'm just I really have a hard time defending it to, to <laughs> friends, and yeah. it's just not the kind of stuff I'm like, I literally will, I'll go listen to something else. Yeah, So fair. <laughs> I like it. Alright, sorry, Fiddy. Yeah. <laughs> All right, anything else uh, on uh, songs or uh, beers or gameplay? Anything more for Brent, Jay? I think that about wraps it up. All right, Brent Peterson, thanks so much for joining thanks us. Thanks for having me, fellas. My pleasure. I hope to have you on again someday. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Thanks again, man. I fully endorse the drink. All right, thanks again uh, to Brent for joining us and playing the dig with me for a couple hours. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Brent V Peterson. Uh, give him a follow, and he will retweet a lot of uh, a lot of basketball things. Basically, it's NBA, college basketball, WNBA occasionally, basketball related, and Brent's probably tweeting about it. So he's a good follow if you're into that stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, right now we're going to talk about what we are playing next, and what are we playing next, Jay? We are going to take a big, big turn to the left yep. uh, or the right. I'm not not really sure the. Um, political basis of this but you know big turn though. um big turn uh this is gonna be our first i think first non-lucas arts game yeah is that right ben it yeah. is right yeah so um lucas arts you know their heyday was in the 90s that's what we're all about uh but a lot of the people who uh worked at lucas arts in the 90s left long before lucas arts uh ended in the uh in 2012 2013 uh and a group of them started a game company called Telltale Games. So we've played some of their games before, um, really like their games, and we want to pull in some of these other uh, game makers like Telltale, like Double Fine. Um, ben, who am I missing? Uh, those would be the big ones. I know Campo Santo, I believe, is another yep. one. Uh, but, yeah, the big ones. Telltale was the kind of the first big LucasArts, the first exodus of LucasArts developers, designers kind of went to Telltale five, six years ago. Uh, but I know you and I uh, first talked with uh, Steve Purcell, a couple other people who worked, uh, artists who worked at Telltale. The first big game 
the first big LucasArts game that they redid, started doing versions of was Sam and Max. And I yeah. think 2008, nine somewhere. There. Uh, maybe even earlier. Maybe earlier. Yeah. And they've done a couple Sounds of remastered right. versions of things, just kind of like um, Double Fine has done uh, with old LucasArts games. So they've done a lot of um, adventure kind of point and click games in the style of those old LucasArts games. So one of the ones they did, uh, one of the first ones that they, they did that was really popular was uh, Walking Dead. That came out. Yep. Again, I should look this up. I think 2012. Did you, and did then, you say Joaquin Dead? Joaquin Dead. Rivers right. Dead? Yes. <laughs> wow. Yikes, dude. Too soon. Wow. <laughs> um, uh, but the game we're going to focus on uh, this month is the first season of Game of Thrones. Yeah. Yeah. So excited about that. Um, just a heads up, season two will come out eventually. Um, but... Probably not before uh, our next episode comes right. out, so you shouldn't be too confused. Uh, you can buy a big bundle. I believe it's six episodes mm. um, for somewhere between 20 25 bucks. It's available for a variety of devices, and there are even occasionally sales. If we see one, we'll make sure to put that out on Twitter, let you guys know. Oh, yeah. But for now, grab it. It's a, it's a longer game. It'll be about 12 hours play through, about two hours an episode, um, but it is a lot of fun. Um, keeps some of the feeling of these LucasArts games uh, in terms of the adventure, the questing and everything, um, but probably more linear with uh, a lot of uh, little side things that you can do as well. A lot of ways you can change your character. Yeah. I, I played each episode as they came out. I haven't played the last episode yet. So I've played a lot of this game already. Uh, it, t- it took a year and a half, two years for all six episodes to come out. So it's kind of cool. You play it as they're developing it basically, right? You're right behind them. Uh, but it's, it's not nearly as, as, straightforward as the other games in the sense that it's kind of a choose your own adventure. The people that you, um, that you like, that you treat well, end up kind of like showing you grace at the end of the season, the people that you might spurn or don't befriend. And uh, there's consequences for every action basically throughout the whole season. So different endings, that kind of thing, uh, different story arcs, depending on who you are as a player, really innovative type of game in that way. So I loved it. I think you guys all like it. Uh, if you like LucasArts games, I think this falls right in line with those. Uh, yeah. Anything else? Uh, just, let you know the events uh, of the game take place shortly after season three of Game of Thrones. So if you're not up through season three, maybe you watch a few episodes first, get caught up. Um, if you haven't hugely watched important, Game of Thrones, actually. Yeah. Um, probably don't play this game. Yep. Uh, it, it's a fun game. It's a cool game. It stands alone, but you get a lot more out of it after watching the show. Uh, and for our younger viewers, maybe just skip this episode yeah. because yeah, Game call. of Thrones um, is, uh, is not safe for work. Uh, or for children's. It's a good, good, good call. Yeah. Uh, thanks again for joining us. As always, you can find us on our website at menoflowmoralfiber.com. Uh, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, links to those are on our website, so check those out. Uh, and again, you can always look at our website for any uh, new posts, adventures, we call them there, uh, just kind of things we're playing in between games, that kind of thing. Any cool stuff we find online, we try to post about it. Uh, and we have shirts now. We have merch, which is kind of crazy. So uh, go to our website and check that out. You can buy uh, T-shirts and pens and mugs and sweatshirts and all these crazy things. You can buy onesies for your kids. Uh, but yeah, check those out. Uh, go to our website. If you see one that's $20 and you want a discount to make it like $14, just tweet at us and we'll give you a discount code and we'll make sure it's updated uh, so you can get $14 shirts, which is kind of cheap. So that's kind of cool. So let us know. Uh, but yeah, I think that about does it for today. I've been Ben. I will be Jason. Uh, and as always, I'm a mighty pirate. Come here, you phlegm, carapace, slime-faced, mucus-brained, furry-legged abductor of luminously intelligent but pulchritudinous earthwomen. Wow. See you Surprised guys. I got through it. Pulchritudinous? 
Awkwardness. It means beautiful. 